People have told stories of the strange and supernatural for centuries. Tales of the restless dead return to haunt the living. Whispers of damned souls doing the devil's bidding on earth. Rumors of inhuman things that still hunt the old forests, untouched by the glare of modern life. There may be more to these stories than you could ever imagine. Join us tonight as we delve into the deeper truth inside these mysteries. Ahoy, and welcome to another episode. I hope you've all had a fantastic week, and thank you very much for joining us tonight. Right, tonight's a little bit different. Uh, me and Andy are currently away, so what we've decided to do is put some of the weird stories together that we've been sent, and uh, present them to you in, like, you know, like an episode kind of thing. So, we've got Ryan coming on, um, and I sat down and spoke to Ryan about a ghost that he's got at work. Uh, you know, this must happen more often than not. But we probably just don't hear about it. Especially when you think about some of the, the ages of these buildings. And the various different uses over time. Uh, then we've got Sharon coming on now. That's a little bit different. She's going to be talking about... Um, essentially, it's, it sounds like... Um, a tulpa or, or something of that sort of nature. Where she's sort of been thinking that much about this particular band uh, and the band is Badfinger uh, probably best known for a couple of tracks that they did where it was uh, Baby Blue and um, I Can't I Can't Live Without You you know that one? so fantastic tracks but unfortunately for them they uh, never really made a penny out of them because they got into they got into uh, got in with a bad manager and he took all the money so yeah the the, the, the two main guys end up uh, committing suicide so tragic story anyway she gets into the um, into that band and eventually she she meets one of these members um, yeah, one of these dead members so comes to her so and again you know it, it sounds a bit like a tulpa type situation so see what you think of that and then we've got uh, towards the end there then we've got Jess coming on to talk about a dream and again you know a lot of people have these significant dreams um, and this is one of those so that's what we've got coming up so we'll start with Ryan my name's Ryan um, I work for uh, a fabrication company uh, we also are a distributor and uh we're located in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, okay, and you've got a ghost at work. Yes. Uh, we don't know exactly if it's somebody that previously worked in the building since uh, it was the building was built back in the early 60s um, and ran for quite a few years at at that company and then my my boss bought the building i think about 30 years ago um and we've been in there since um but we have yet to be able to you know track down whether it was uh, a previous employee that possibly had either uh died on the job you know in the building somewhere um the only thing we can also attribute possibly to it is uh where the building's located is there's a bridge that goes over top basically our parking lot which separates uh the business across from us 
and we basically share the parking lot. Uh, and there was a jumper uh, jumped off the build off the uh, bridge and committed suicide and landed in the parking lot right outside our on our side of the uh, parking lot. That is, um, yeah. So that was yeah. also a speculation of whether it could be, you know, from that traumatic experience. That'll do it. That'll do it for sure. <laughs> Yeah, we so we, we we there's really no records that we could uh, get back into as far as the uh, original business that was there before us to uh, to try to find out. Um, okay. The only thing that I have that be personally is the when I see it, and it's usually out of the you know peripheral vision. It to me looks more like a in a, a man more than a female. Um, so and and the jumper off the bridge was a female. So I'd, I, I'd I'd separate that from there. So I I don't know if I can attribute it to that or not. Yeah. What sort of? Do you know what sort of business was that that premises before you guys took over? Uh, it was some kind of a, a trucking repair business. They uh, for like the uh, large eighteen wheeler, you know, trucks and stuff like that. They worked yeah. on. Uh, transmissions and, and different aspects of it. And, and there's other separate portions of the building that go into the back where uh, they had a wash bay where they would wash the trucks down, you know, different areas. And, and we own all of it. And the majority of the sightings have all been by the office area and, and the back area where, where I do most of my fabrication work. Mm. Um, so it could just be someone who really enjoyed being there then. Yeah, 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 basically, and it always seems like he's going through the motions. Like he knows where he's going because it's always down the same uh, oh, so it's hallway, like, uh, like, it, like a replay. Yeah, yeah, like like it's looping around, and then uh, and especially up in the front, uh, the one secretary, she would hear footsteps going up, and it's metal stairs that go upstairs right outside the door. Because her office is basically right near the entrance to the building, and the front offices. Um, and you come through the front door into like a, a foyer and then there's another door you go through and then you'd have to turn left to go in to her office, which goes down the hallway towards the other offices, or you could go right and go up the stairs to, uh, there are some offices upstairs that aren't being used. And she would say that she'd be sitting at her desk and could hear footsteps going up those metal stairs that she'd get up and look out the window in the door and she'd never see anybody there. And not to mention, she is one of the ones that has seen uh, the ghost in other areas of the building itself, like even back by my work area. Okay, so is, is every, I mean, so half the workforce have seen it, and half the workforce and out the the people who have seen it, are, do they all describe the same ghost? Yes, they, it, it, we've all had basically the same uh, image, you know, that that is projected to us when we when we do see it. Um, the one time, the one secretary who doesn't believe at all that, they, that there was a ghost, they were talking about it and they were standing there. Cause I guess, um, the secretary that has seen it was saying how she just saw it. And, and the other one's going, there's no such thing as a ghost in it. shelf literally across and there was, it's an enclosed shelf. So there's no way somebody could have got behind it and pushed them. And they just flew across the floor in front of them. And uh, 
the guy that used to work in the back with me that moved to up by the offices, he, he saw all the papers flying and he was like, what was that? You know, it's like, and Debbie said, see, you upset your ghost. Yeah. Yeah. But you wear that, you wear that regular, don't you? Where people are dismissive for something and then it shows itself for whatever reason. So, um, yeah. So is the ghost that you saw then and your colleagues, have you actually seen, you know, you know, could you give the description of what you saw? It, like I said, it, to me, it, it looks like a man, you know, just walking down the hallway. And I say hallway, the area where I work in the back is is open for the most part. But in the middle, there are support beams for the uh, structure of the building and the upstairs floor that basically divide, you know, the, the, the area in half. But it's, it's open in between them. We have uh, cantilever racks where my steel or, you know, is laying on for uh, the fabrication work that I do. Um, but you can see through to the other side, but we consider it, you know, like a walkway or a hallway going down that side, you know, and then on my side where my little office cubicle is, if you want to call it, and, and uh, my fabrication area is. Um, and that's usually where I always see it coming through. And, and to me, it just looks like a, a guy wearing just normal clothes not like a suit or anything like that and i've never noticed anything as far as you know like a period type clothing or anything it just looks like a normal guy wearing like a t-shirt yeah you know what pants sort of, can't uh, tell if they were jeans or not what sort of age would you put him at he'd probably be if i had to guess just by the stature that i see i'd say probably maybe in his 60s okay Okay. So that, that I can tell late fifties or mid sixties, some somewhere in that range. Yeah. You know, not like an extremely elderly man, but not a young young guy. He just and the way he walks is just like I said, it's like he knows where he's going and he's on a mission. Yeah, yeah. What about what about presence? I mean, do you, do you feel any um negative of him or positive or you know, do you feel anything at all when you see him? I don't feel any negative or uh, malicious type feelings. Um, as a fabricator, I'm a lot of times under the, you know, with the welding hood on. Yeah. I'll be welding on a, on a project and I'll get the feeling like somebody's behind me. And a lot of times, like, they'll come back to ask me something, but they don't want to interrupt me while I'm in the process of welding. So they'll stand there and wait till I'm done to, you know, ask me a question. And, I get the feeling like somebody's there and I'll see like a reflection behind me in the lens inside the hood and I'll stop and I'll lift the hood up and look around and there'll be nobody there. Yeah. That's pretty creepy. Yeah. So it's almost <laughs> like he's standing over me watching me work. But then when I, when I stop and I look, he's gone, you know? Yeah. Well, it just sounds like he's interested. So, at least he's not causing anybody harm, so that's all you can ask for, yeah, really. The only, the only thing he's actually done is, and I, I attribute it to this, and, and the other guy that I said that used to be in the back with me, um, when we're working on stuff like just hand tools like screwdrivers or a hammer or something in that, as, in that aspect, would you'd be doing something, uh, walk away, go to the restroom, you know, walk up front to get something or whatever, come back, and where'd it go? it's gone you know uh, and then you end up walking around looking for it and then you'll find it totally away from where you were working and how it got there we don't know 
Mm, that, that does fascinate me how objects move like that. Um, you know, where do they go? Because they, they obviously leave our dimension, if you like, and then reappear. So it is interesting. But there must be, you know, weird places all over the country, your country, my country, where people have ghosts there. You know, maybe not causing any, you know, a little bit of mischief here and there, but nothing major. So to just get on with it. Because just up the road from where I am now, there's a shop. And it used to be uh, a funeral parlour. And that closed down and they, they refurbished it out as a shop. And a lot of people see things there, especially on the night shift. Uh, but they don't necessarily talk about it. They just leave. You know, so they're always looking for new staff. Every time you go there, there's a, there'll be a... I guarantee you, if you go there now, there'll be a, a sign on the door saying staff required. Because they just leave. You know, because they can't handle it, but, you know. Yeah, it's, there's, there's some places that really make you think twice about wanting to be there, you know, by yourself or, you know, that, like you said, uh, it used to be a funeral home. You, you, you almost would expect there to be something going on. Yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. So is that the only... Yeah, to me, only... It, it seems like he's he was a worker there that, and, and like with the tools that are disappearing and then it seems like he has a purpose walking down the hallway that like maybe he's still going through the motions like you said and, and needed a screwdriver for something and, and was would normally would do that when he was working there and, mm. and, and and I don't know how he manages to pick it up and, and move it but well, it makes you it uh, makes you wonder if because obviously you know it's quite you can go quite deep with all this, but the consciousness side of it is he still conscious? I mean, is, is this just a replay of just pure energy? But then when you've got stuff moving around, then you start thinking there's a little bit of intelligence to it. So you know, I'd hate to think that somebody's just trapped doing that uh, for from now to eternity. You know, but who knows? Yeah, and just my well, just this last year, um, our boss had all the lighting changed over. He's put all these floor there. He'd take all the fluorescent lights out and put led lights in and he put motion sensors on everything. So we don't have to turn the lights off and on all the time. They come on yeah. while you're, when you walk into the area, well, there's different runs of lights that go all the way across the ceiling. So each run has its own sensor and I'll be sitting at my desk, which is to the far left of the, of the uh, fabrication shop. And all the way across to the right of me, uh, there's probably about six runs of lights that go across. They're set on timers, so they go off on their own. Now, I'll be sitting there working over blueprints and drawings for materials and typing out emails to my suppliers to uh, get quotes on, you know, materials and everything. And the lights will go off on their own because of the timer. And then I'll sit there. And it doesn't bother me because the lights stay on above me because I'm underneath them. But then out of nowhere, the lights will come on. And then I thought I see somebody walking down and there's nobody there, but the lights come on. Yeah. And they'll go on all the way down that length that we always see him walk. And But when I look over, after I think somebody's walking back to turn the lights on, there's nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> but the, and then the lights stop coming on. But it, I mean that at least it's a little bit like corroboration, isn't it? It's a little bit, um, you know. Obviously, they're picking, they're seeing what you're seeing as well. So it's not, you know, it's not you on your own at that point. So at least that's a little bit of uh, reassurance. 
yeah so we we actually make jokes about it every once in a while and, and uh you know it's like oh what happened here i don't know it must have been the ghost <laughs> do you give him a name do you sense a name or no it, it, it it's like i said it's we don't feel anything bad yeah. from it i can't come up with anything we and we never we never really we just call him the ghost we we, we we've never named him anything really it's yeah. uh well, the ghost that, that ticks just... all the boxes, doesn't it? Yeah, I, <laughs> and I've I've heard podcasts in the past about uh, people naming ghosts or entities and 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 stuff that goes along with it. And I've never even thought about it before until you just asked that. And we've always just called him the ghost. Mm. We never said anything like as far as trying to name him anything. And then um, I just heard recently where they said like you almost empower something in that aspect by naming it so i now i'm sort of yeah. I, I i don't know if i want to <laughs> no no <laughs> i think if you call it the ghost that'll do yeah no yeah you can get breathe life into things once you start naming them and giving them an energy focusing on too much so but it seems like you guys are just getting on with it so that's you know you just keep doing what he's doing you to keep doing what you're doing isn't it yeah because I'll, um, I'll go in a lot of times early in the morning by myself and nobody else shows up you know, till at least eight o'clock in the morning, uh, sometimes not even till nine. And I'll be there for, you know, two and a half hours by myself and never had any, never had any issues. You know, it's, it, it's almost like a, a peaceful existence. And, and as long as we don't, you know, I, I guess as long as we don't mess with them, cause it seemed like that when the papers flew across there, it sort of might've angered him a little bit. The fact that, uh, you know, the one secretary was, you know, doesn't believe in him, doesn't believe he was there. And, and, and he sort of made his presence known at that point in time by pushing the papers across all over the floor. And, uh, hmm. I guess as long as we don't mess with him, he won't mess with us too bad, except for the hand tools. <laughs> well, I just want to thank you for sharing your story with me. Uh, thank you, uh, for, for allowing me to, I, I enjoy your podcast very much. Um, I've actually got my sister-in-law listening to you now, and she's uh, real big on paranormal stuff. And was just here last night telling me that uh, her fiance was talking to a guy out in uh, where they work at. He knows a park ranger from the near the park that's about five minutes up the road from me. Um, saw some type of a cryptid type of uh, creature that he's attributing to possibly be a Bigfoot. Maybe I don't know. He said it was almost bear size in shape and there have been some bear sightings around, but, uh, not a whole lot, but he said it definitely was not a bear considering he, you know, there's a sheriff you know, works in a uh, park ranger service over there at the, at the park. And he said it definitely wasn't a bear. So, uh, we're, we're thinking about taking a ride over and doing some investigating. Yeah. <laughs> well, if it's only five minutes away, uh, why not why not but obviously uh yeah and be careful if it is if it is bear <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't want to i don't want to tangle with no bear so what's what's so is he allowed i mean obviously he's talked to you about it. i mean is this something that he's allowed to talk about is this something that they record or yeah he, he um well it, the guy at work that my future brother-in-law was talking to he's a uh he's into astronomy and they have an observatory thing over there with a telescope in it. Um, 
and we like my wife was uh, head of the Girl Scout troop that my daughters were in, and we took them all over, and they were able to look through the telescope, and they have a whole, I mean, it's a whole, it's a, it's a real nice facility for, yeah, yeah. you know, plunked down in the middle of the woods over there, but um, he is friends with the guy that's, that's the uh, park ranger, and he happened to tell him about it because he was up by, it's, it's in the park, and he was up by the observatory, and that's when he saw it. So he had shared that with him. I, I don't know if, how, how many other people he shared it with or, you know, anything like that, but uh, it sure did pique our interest. Yeah, indeed. Well, you'll have to let me know if you go up there and uh, see anything strange. It, it, the biggest thing is, like, trying to get pictures, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's if you can, you know, because there's different yeah, theories okay. on that, so... Yeah, there's a lot of hard hard evidence coming by pictures. Yeah. <laughs> but um no, thank you very much and uh you know, happy new year. It is happy new year to you guys. Um like I said, keep up the good work. I I enjoy listening to your podcast a lot. Thank you very much. Hi Andy. Thank you for letting me be a guest on your show. Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Joyce Isaacson, and I am the author of a book called Wish You Were Here, Badfinger, A Rock Fantasy. Now, I can only tell you what I can confirm. Um, through the writings, well, with my book, I've had some very interesting paranormal experiences while writing the book and after writing the book, actually. Um, let me explain. Um, first of all, my husband in uh, 2009, he made a Facebook page for me, and I totally ignored it. Now, how I got into Badfinger was in 2014, which is a very interesting story. Um, my husband had a small radio station, an internet radio station, and um, he wanted me to put away some albums, um, CDs, and um, I came across the very best of Badfinger, and I recognized Joey Mullen on the cover. I have been trying to see him for a very long time. And uh, I decided to look at the liner notes, and I learned some things about them. Um, not a whole lot, but some things. And I decided to put the CD on, and I heard this song called Rock of All Ages, and I just fell in love with the song. And my husband was coming downstairs, and I said, you know, this is a Beatles song. He said, he said, well, it sounds like a Beatles song. And he said, yeah, it does. So that piqued my interest a lot. Now, the thing is that um, for those of you who don't know who Badfinger is, they were a Welch band formed in Swansea that were active from the 1960s to the 1980s. Their lineup consisted of Pete Ham, Michael Gibbons, Tom Evans and Joey Mullen, and they are known for their influence on the 1970s power pop category. I found out that the band evolved from an earlier group called the Ivies and became the first group signed by the Beatles' Apple label in 1968. Then the band renamed themselves Badfinger. 
after the working title for the Beatles' 1967 song, With a Little Help from My Friends, originally called, of all things, The Badfinger Boogie. From 1968 to 73, Badfinger recorded five albums for Apple, and they toured extensively before they became involved in a disarray of Apple record problems. What is interesting is Badfinger had four worldwide hits from 1970 to 1972. They had Come and Get It, No Matter What, Baby Blue, and Day After Day, and their song Without You, a 1970 U.S. number one hit for Harry Nielsen. After App Records folded in 1973, which was really bad and sad, Badfinger struggled with a host of legal, managerial, and financial issues, daring Pete Ham to commit suicide in 1975. Yeah, that was pretty sad. But over the next three years, the surviving members fought to rebuild their personal and professional lives against the backdrop of lawsuits, which tied up the songwriter's royalty payments for years. I'm afraid to say, but their later albums went nowhere. As Joey Mullen and Tom Evans staggered between corporation and conflict in their attempts to revive the Badfinger legacy. Wow. Then in 1983, Tom Evans unfortunately also killed himself. All these things were such tragedies. The only one left to carry on this is Joey, who tried, I tried to meet back in 1987. Now, What's interesting about this is that I decided to join a Badfinger group. I was heavily into um, Zeppelin at the time, but I asked my husband, you know, because he made me the Facebook page, can I join a Badfinger group? And he said, yes, you can join a Badfinger group. So I did. And then I just found out everybody was hurting because of what had happened to them, as I have explained to you. And I decided that I would make a blurb or a snippet of them being happy in heaven. And everybody really enjoyed that snippet. I got like, I don't know, maybe a hundred comments on it, very positive comments. And um, I just, I couldn't believe it. And so I decided to write a little bit more. And I still got a lot of different comments and stuff. And um, I said, oh, my gosh, I put some people in there that um, I don't know how, you know, how they're going to know how they got into there. So I decided to write a backstory. Meanwhile, I um, sort of had this um, interesting um, experience. I was sitting one day, I was just sitting on the couch, and I had this vision of me putting this um, spread of food down, and um, I think it was, let me see if I can remember, it was tea and pizza, and Tommy Evans came in through the window, and first thing he asked me was, what is this, the Thirsty Whale? And I laughed and said, well, I've been to the Thirsty Whale before. And I'm, he, I'm sorry, I've never been to the Thirsty Whale. And um, he said to me, well, I've been to the Thirsty Whale quite a few times. And I, I said, oh, okay. 
everything. Then he said to me, I was told not to come empty-handed. And he came over and he put this beautiful gold chain with um, necklace with this beautiful sapphire diamond in it. And um, I said, I'll never take it off. And then he said to me, I will see you again. And then he just left right out the window. Now, I've never heard Tommy's voice before. This is the very first time I've actually heard it. And um, I started going on um, YouTube, and I found in an interview with Tommy um, introducing a song for Magic Christian. I said, oh my gosh, that's his voice. Then I told a friend about this who um, knew that um, I have this little spookiness about me. And I explained to him about the vision I had. I said, Joyce, I've got to come over. I said, why? He says, I have something to give you. I'm like, well, what do you have to give me? And he wouldn't tell me. He came over. He gave me this book. And he says, I want you to go through the book. I said, okay. So it was a book on Badfinger. And I started to page through it. And I came across a picture of Tommy wearing the same necklace that I saw in the vision. It was in black and white, but it was the same it was the same form and everything. So I thought that was kind of uh, kind of strange, and my friend thought it was kind of strange as well. Anyway, I started after that, I felt like I wanted to write this story, and um, I wrote the backstory to it, and um, it was a pair it's gonna, it was going to be a parallel story. And um, I came to the part where Tommy goes to heaven. And um, a little bit more into it, um, Tommy came to me. And he was standing beside me. I saw him. And he said to me, you know, the story would be very boring if I don't meet any people. So I said, okay, so, you know, here I am. And here's my character talking to me. So I said, well, who do you want to meet? He said, um, how about Janis Joplin? So I said, okay. So I decided to put Janis Joplin, and I did a little research and found her, and we put her in, and Tommy was very happy with that. And then um, after that, um, Tommy said, well, you know, I love pizza. So I said, oh, really? He said, yes. And I thought that was kind of strange because later on I would find out that uh, that's exactly uh, what he uh, happened to uh, like. And um, so we put that in the story. And then he said, oh, I love the colors black and purple. I said, oh, okay. So uh, we put in that in the story as well. Then... I went ahead and um, finding this very strange. This I had to. Um, I was in the Badfinger site, and I had to take my Badfinger my story to the next my page because I can't explain why, but I had to take it to my page, and um, nobody could find me, and I was very very upset about that because. Um, the, on, the only two people could find me, and that was it. And I wrote for them for like six months through pain, tooth pain, uh, headaches, and just everything. And I always was able to put down 
the story. And um, my friend Eddie Burns, he found me or made me my own Badfinger site. And um, anyway, I've, I wrote, like I said, I wrote through tooth pains and bronchitis and things like that. Then a personal thing happened, forcing me to put all my belongings in a shed, and water came into the shed and destroyed most of my belongings, and the rats ate most of it as well, and I lost three-fourths of everything I ever owned. Now, I was on medication at the time, and I was supposed to take a blood test every six months, and because of this situation... I forgot to take the blood test. And um, one morning, I was woken up by Tommy's voice. And he said, Joyce, you have to go to the doctor. And I'm thinking to myself, why is my character talking to me? Um, you know, I didn't understand it. I said, and he said, again, you have to go. I said, well, I know my leg has been hurting me because it was hurting me off and on. And I said, well, if it hurts me today, I'll make the appointment and go. So it didn't hurt me that day. But the next day, it was killing me. And so I made the appointment. I went in on Monday, and I took the blood test. And on Tuesday, they called me up right away, and they said, if you didn't come in any sooner, you would have been dead. I could not believe that. So... After that, I mean, I just, you know, I really believe that Tommy was in my life and stuff. And um, things like that just don't happen, like, every day. And um, anyways, I just kept on writing the story. And after about writing for two years, I began getting good response People started telling me to, you know, why don't you publish the story? And um, I really <laughs> didn't um, know. I sat on it for a year because I didn't know anything about publishing or editing or anything like that. And my story was in a format that was very different than um, what they have today. So um, I just kind of sat on the idea. And... Um, Finally, after enough people telling me, publish it, publish it, publish it, I finally decided that it was in the wrong format. I wanted to be readable for my group. So I went out there, and I started trying to find an editor. And um, I found some editors, and they gave, I gave them the sample, and they just tore apart my story. And I was, like, really, really depressed about that. And um, I thought, man, I'm not going to find another editor. But I don't know. I pretty, I, pretty, um, I decided to uh, try again. And um, I found a particular editor named Dennis D. Rose. And um, he didn't tear apart my story. And... Um, he was easy to talk to, and we decided to work together, and um, we made it shine. Um, 
after that, um, Tommy came to me one one of the days, and um, he said to me, Joyce, he was right behind me, he said, Joyce, if you find this one picture on um, on the internet, your book's going to be successful. And I'm like, okay. And I started looking for the picture. And the picture, he said, was a picture of him at Disneyland. And I started looking and I could not find it that day. So I was kind of upset about it. And um, I'm like, okay, you know, what can I do? The next day, he came back to me again and said, Joyce, you've got to go find that picture of me at Disneyland. And I said, okay, I'll look again. And lo and behold, two hours later, maybe it was three, I found the picture. And he said, see, now your book's going to be successful. Okay, so then finally something happened where um, in 2017, um, November, I finally got a chance to go and see Joey Moen. And um, basically, maybe I shouldn't talk about this. <laughs> anyway, I found out from a friend on um, Facebook who happened to know Tommy um, that he did, in fact, like pizza. And, in fact, his favorite colors were black and purple. So I found that very interesting. And I set my date for publishing the book on Amazon for March 4th. But I missed the date because I ran into problems because I had so many dead celebrities in my story. I started looking on legal sites to see if um, I was okay with that. But I was so scared to death that I decided I was going to see if I could find a pro bono lawyer because I didn't really have the money. And um, no pro bono lawyer would touch me with a 10-foot pole. So I I was stuck. And I couldn't write anything. I just wrote the flashbacks from the second story that I was working on at the time. And I was so really depressed about it. And when I was at my computer, Tommy would give me spiritual lollipops. And he put it on on my desk, um, the color, um, I think it was uh, strawberry or something like that. And um, I was just really, really in a depressed mood and stuff. And I was lying down on the couch, and I was feeling really, really bad, and I just wanted an airplane to hit my house and hit me. I didn't, you know, I didn't care. So, they, so Tommy... On the third day that I was laying on the couch, said to me, don't worry, you're going to publish. And he said, you better cut up some some cardboard because you're going to be selling books. And I'm like, Tommy, you know, I I can't sell books because uh, the whole thing is stopped. And he said, don't worry about it. You'll be you'll be selling books. I said, "I, I can't. He said, well, just do it as therapy. And so I got up and I um, cut up at least 40 pieces of cardboard so I could um, put the books into the envelopes. And um, 
And I did it. But I did laugh about it. I told them, this is ridiculous. But I kept saying, no, 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 you're going to sell books. Don't worry about it. So I'm still in a very depressed mood, and I was hanging up clothes in my to- in my closet. And um, I was just putting things away, and then I heard Tommy come over and say to me, he said, you know, you know how you filled your closet is? And I said, yes. He said, well, your books will be brimming over, just like your clothes. And, um, of course, again, I was, wasn't sure if that was going to happen or not. Then, um, about two weeks later, I actually, I was on LinkedIn and, um, I just started looking through LinkedIn because that's what I usually did. And I found out there was a lawyer that was actually in my group. And I right away, I reached him and I told him, if you read my story, I'll give you a free book. Just let me know what you think. So he said he would do it. And um, of course, I was scared to death that he was going to give me the red light on everything because of having all the all the dead rock stars in the story so i wasn't sure what to do and so i kind of i waited and waited and waited and he finally gave me the green light you can't believe how happy i really was um we decided to publish on june 5th and um, that was my the date that I wanted to publish on Amazon. And um, it turned out that um, the book went through on May 31st, but um, I didn't tell people until June 5th that it was published on Amazon. And we had our own little party, and it was really, really nice. And um, I decided to give um, for each paperback sold to the national suicide prevention lifeline and um i started selling books and i had pre-orders as well that i um didn't mention before but um i was ready to give them back their um their money at the time but um when i published i was able to um start selling books at home as well and i started getting like great really great reviews and everybody um, was enjoy reading the book because I, I reached them and they said, yeah, it's really, really good. And from there, I was ready to, um, write the, um, the end. And, and I did. And, um, I started writing new stuff and was really, really happy. And I've tried different um, market techniques like um, Book Cave, um, getting into libraries, um, review places, uh, talking. And this is my actual um, third uh, radio spot that I'm doing right now. And um, I'm just having people share the book and info, and they just said they really love the story. I've done podcasts with um, After Hours with Rick Hogan from the Chicago Tribune. And um, I also did Night Dreams and uh, Never Give Up Hope. So um, this is my this is my fourth podcast that I'm actually doing. 
And um, right now I have um, 21 reviews and I have four um, editorial reviews. And um, the book is doing pretty well. And right now the ebook is uh, 99 cents on uh, Amazon and the um, paperback is $18 for, for a limited time. And um, if you want to get it from me, you can get it from me if you email me at SharonJ0023 at yahoo.com and I will send also not only the paperback with an auto copy, but I will send you the ebook. And there is a segment in the, in there that's not in the story. And also my rock dreams, which are pictures that I drew from 1979 until 2015. And they're really good drawings and they have little tidbits about everything. But even though things were going great with my book and everything, I was very depressed because I have not seen my brother in 12 years and he lived in Israel because that's where he worked and um, I really, really wanted to see him so bad. And um, I remember I was lying down on the couch one, one um, Saturday afternoon and I was I was laying inside Tommy, believe it or not, and Tommy said to me, where do you want to go in Israel? And I said to Tommy, I said, how can I go to Israel? I don't have the money right now to go. It's all tied up in my book right now and everything. He said, don't worry, you're going to go. And um, I told him where I wanted to go. This went on for a couple of weeks that uh, I would talk to him about it and... Um, and then I find out, I go to a wedding, and I find out my daughter-in-law, she decided she was going to put up the money for me to go to Israel. And I couldn't believe it. And um, I was really, really happy about that. But I will let you know this. Um, Tommy only tells me basically what I need to know on a need-to-want-to-know basis. I just wanted to let you know that. Um, I I was really, really happy about this. And um, I actually tried to um, send to um, another um, podcast. And um, he wanted proof. He, he said, well, you know, all this stuff you're talking about and everything. He says, how do you know it's really who he is? And I'm like, you know, you, you could be right and everything, but I really needed to know. So on one day, on a particular day, I actually prayed to God, and I asked him, I said, is Tommy in my life? Does he belong in my life? Is he really Tommy Evans from Badfinger? And that night, I had this particular dream, and Tommy was in the dream. I'm not going to go into the dream, but all of a sudden, that morning, as the dream was ending, I woke up to Baby Blue, and that was a sign because they never play Badfinger on this particular radio station. 
on the radio. And I thought that that was definitely a sign. And what's interesting, too, is that um, Tommy has a thing for paprika. I don't understand it myself, but when I was putting paprika on things, he said, put more paprika on this, put more paprika on this. Now, the funny thing is, is that um, my husband would put the paprika on the dining room table, and then he, all of a sudden he came to me and said, where's the paprika? I said, well, you put it on the dining room table. He said, yes, I did. I said, well, I haven't touched it. The paprika moved from the dining room table to the kitchen table. That's where we found it. Another time, the same thing happened where the paprika was missing again, and we couldn't find it. And then we found it actually in the spice rack, and we didn't move it. My husband will uh, tell you that if he was if was here right now with me. So I found that another interesting thing. Another interesting thing is that um, when my husband would go out somewhere, Tommy would tell me exactly what time my husband would be coming home. And one time he said to me, Joyce, um, if, if Phil doesn't come home at this and certain, certain time, I'm not Tommy Evans. And I'm like, oh, don't say things like that. Don't say things like that. And, and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And zoop, right then and there, right before the, I call it the witching hour or whatever, Phil's there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, so you are Tommy. <laughs> so... I thought that was also pretty pretty interesting as well. So I planned my trip to go to Israel on October 9th, and I was scared to death. I got on the plane, and I was freaking out. And Tommy said to me, Joyce, just think of it as a train or a car, and don't even look out the window. You're going to arrive there safely. And... I'm, I was terrified and I did arrive there safely and I had some very interesting experiences in Israel with Tommy, believe it or not. Um, I actually, uh, got lost and, um, my brother, I called him up on the phone because I went to the, uh, Wailing Wall and on the way back, I couldn't find my way back. And my brother said, please wait at this place called Colfax. Instead, I waited downstairs by this um, Herald's um, um, pillars, or whatever they call them. And Tommy was jumping from pillar to pillar. I could see him do that. And then he slid down a banister. And then he said to me, um, Joyce, he said, you better go up there now because your brother is coming now and you don't want to miss him. He's coming right now to see you. And I had no idea when my brother was going to be coming. Tommy told me when he would be coming. And I went up there and as soon as I got up there, there behold was my brother. And I thought that was kind of interesting as well. So Tommy went with me to Israel and we had a great time and and, um, but on the way back, um, I was actually, how can I explain this? Um, scared again because 
I had a vision and I saw a plane crash into the sea and I thought it was my plane and I was terrified and we had a lot of turbulence on the plane and um, and Tommy kept saying, don't worry, your plane's going to be fine, you're going to be okay and um, I arrived like four hours late from my um, time that I was supposed to um, arrive and it was nighttime. And I came home on a, with cab because there was nowhere there to pick me up. And um, then I found out that 11 hours from the time that um, I had departed from Israel, a plane had crashed in Indonesia into the sea. So I came home safely, and I would I did my marketing and everything for my book and everything. And um, I had another dream. And in the dream, Tommy was actually singing a particular song to me that I've never heard before. I know all the Badfinger songs, at least I knew most of the Badfinger songs. And um, I was talking to a friend about it. And he said, well, maybe it's on the expanded edition of Badfinger that's coming out. There were two expanded editions. And he also gave me live at the BBC um, radio um, a Dodgers album that Tommy at one time actually was on, but was actually fired from being in the group. And um, so I was listening to the uh, Dodgers one, and all of a sudden I came across the song. I've never heard this in my life before, honest. You I take a lie detector test, and it was it was called Where Were You? And I told my friend, and he found out it was an anagram for Wish You Were Here. I thought that was really amazing. But it gets even stranger because I was actually playing the uh, expanded edition and I went into the kitchen. I was trying to hear it and I couldn't hear it. I was washing dishes at the time and Tommy came into the kitchen and he said to me, Oh, Joyce, you got to stop washing dishes. You got to come in. My song is on right now. I said, Tommy, I'm washing dishes right now. He said, No, you got to come in. You got to listen. And so, I dropped my dishes, so to speak, and went into the living room, and lo and behold, the, his song was on. It was called Sing for the Song, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. And he said, see, I told you, he said, you have to believe me, you have to believe. And um, the reason why it was really an experience for me is because Tommy had told me some very incredible news that I'm, I'm not going to share at this time and um, very positive and um, and to me that's a confirmation that these things are going to occur. Now my husband always believed me with what I'm talking about and I have certain friends that also believe me but my husband's never experienced this really for himself and just recently um, about two weeks ago he saw an envelope a stable envelope on a box just fly off and land on the floor and he 
he's one not to, um, he's got a very analytical mind, so to speak. And, um, he said to me, Joyce, he says, I didn't see it happen. He saw it happen. He said, this thing took off. It's like somebody pushed it off. And, um, and so he experienced it for himself. And I thought that was pretty cool, actually. And I said, well, now welcome to my world. He says, no, I be- I've always believed you, but I've never seen it myself. And um, finally he did. And I thought that was really, really cool. The interesting thing is I did meet um, somebody who knew Tommy. And um, when they played at the Thirsty Whale, Um, This was years later. I mean, I found out things like years later about Tommy. I didn't find things out right away. But um, from the dreams and everything, I really do believe that we do have a connection. Also, I also found out um, through somebody who knew Tommy, um, this one girl, um, I got his personality down just... uh, the way he was. So I was really surprised about that. I mean, she read part of the story and she said, oh yeah, she said, you have his uh, Liverpudlian uh, personality. And Tommy was a generous person, and but he could be very witty at times as well. And um, that's the way he is with me. So I believe that's a lot of proof that Tommy is definitely a connection and in my life. And um, we also have um, the same gematria in Hebrew, 65 and 65, which is also interesting. And um, what is the book about? Basically, when Tommy is looking for his best mate, Pete Ham in heaven, he meets old friends and famous new ones on his afterlife voyage. He meets people like Gilda Radner, Jim Morrison, um, Janis Joplin. I mean, a host of different people. I thought I'd put that in there. And in retrospect, I really believe that um, he's a vessel from God And um, after all that I've been through, I feel like I'm succeeding. And I want to thank you very much for letting me um, speak about this. Again, this is only stuff that I can confirm. Everything else, it goes in one ear and out the other. Thank you, Andy. Um, If people are interested in the book, because it is definitely... Um, Tommy had helped me write this book. Um, you can reach me at SharonJ0023 at yahoo.com. And my book is on Amazon, Kobo, um, Draft Digital 2. So um, thank you very much. Um, take care. And um, bye. What is the book about? During Tommy's search for Pete in heaven, he meets some old friends and new famous ones in his afterlife voyage.
Hi there, my name is Jessica. I am going to talk about a dream experience that I had at the end of December. Um, so uh, that night in particular in question, I had taken a big dive into my past traumas, um, different events in my life. I made a list um, chronologically from birth to now pretty much detailing certain events, um, just stuff that, you know, I had kind of pushed to the back of my mind more or less and I just didn't want to think about. Um, so, you know, I, I got to the point where I said, you know what, if I don't face these things, these demons, whatever you want to call them, if I don't face these ugly things that happened, I'm never going to face them. So, you know, I started doing my list. Um, I went back to one particular event and, you know, I asked my spirit guides, I asked spirit, um, my ancestors, anybody that was listening, you know, that was going to give me the best possible, um, positive, whatever you want to call it, the best outcome. I, I asked them for help. So I fell asleep. Um, I went to a dreamscape, I guess you could call it. Um, it was different. It was like a plane that I don't think I've been on before. I have a pretty good um, ability to astral travel. Um, I can go to different places um, that I love going to in my dreams. Um, I can sense water. I can sense the temperature of water. It's usually like warm, um, like soothing waters, um, you know, or whatever. Um, I have the I have the power to fly or you know at will I can do anything I want in these types of situations. However, this night was different. I um I wanted to see my abuser. I wanted to see his soul in particular. I wanted to make peace. I not peace, but I wanted to just be done with that. So when I approached his soul or you know his dark side, whatever you want to call it, it was just that. It was ghastly. It was wrong feeling. It um, it was almost like a dementor in in um, in appearance. I made a note um, that his teeth were ugly, discolored, foul smelling, and I remember making a note as well in my head going. It's kind of funny that this guy is a dentist in our physical, you know, 3D realm, but here I am looking at him and he's just far from a dentist. He's just repulsive. So I feel like that was, uh, you know, that was it. That's all I needed to do. I just needed to see that he was a piece of shit still and um, there wasn't anything there for me. I needed to move past that event. And I feel like I did. So I woke up. Um, I, I knew that it wasn't like a, you know, any other kind of dream. It, it didn't feel like a nightmare. It was definitely an experience that um, was not like something I'd had before. So I started doing some research after that. I got a reading done. Um, my reading, my the cards that were pulled were, were all spot on, telling me and advising me to move past these events. Um that I need to hone in on my natural gifts and that, um, I don't know, it's time to let go of that. So I, I got that confirmation. What I, well, what I felt like was a confirmation, you know? So, um, 
it was it was a good thing for me I feel like I feel like it even though you know it was it was an odd situation I feel like it was what I needed um I did a little bit of research and I I found this um these things called Orion entities um dark energies um that can you know attach themselves to certain things and um I found that through the law of one and at the end of the day the law of one tells me that I need a love I need a love I'm here to love so I think that's just um what I need to do here in this plane um I talked to Lee a little bit and he asked me if he thought that if it was um a realm that we went to after we died and I told him I don't think it was I think it was much different from that it was a different plane of existence it wasn't you know the afterlife so to say but yeah it was just an interesting dreamscape whatever you want to call it that I went to and in, in a, a different entity that I've never experienced before I hope that this um, audio clip can maybe reach somebody who maybe can guide me or um, you know maybe they've experienced something similar um, either way, I'm thankful for this and I'm thankful for this podcast. Thank you for listening to me and I hope you have a great day. So there you go. An interesting story. If you're interested in Sharon's book, I will have the uh, links to that in the show notes. Uh, so just look for it there. Also, I'll put her email address in there in case you've got anything to share over. Likewise, if there's anybody out there who can shed some light on you know Jesse's situation situation there then please feel free to contact us and we'll pass that information on if you've had a strange dream like that then obviously you can send that to us at uh, supernaturalpod at gmail.com keep your weird stories coming uh, they're fantastic we've got some more to do um, that we've read out but we've uh, got to put them into the next episode or episodes going forward so Look for that. Right, I've got a extra little bit that I'm going to stick on here. Um, and this was something we filmed uh, for YouTube, but we never ended up putting it on YouTube. But uh, we, uh, well, you know, we, we'd had a few to drink and we were dressed up when we did these. So we had various different masks on and shit. So if this sounds a little bit muffled, it's because I was wearing a mask. Obviously, you can't see that. It's for your audio pleasure. But I was wearing a dogman mask, I think it was. So bear that in mind. So I'll play that now. I've got a strange story for you today. Ooh! All about a dog that knew. In my old apartment, my dog would on occasion look down the hallway towards the bedroom from the living room and growl for no apparent reason. Also on occasion when I was sleeping in the bedroom, she slept at the foot of my bed. I would wake up with her staring intently at the door and growling. She was a big girl, 140 pounds of great dame. <laughs> and what a slobberer. But she was. So, I'm there for, for a couple of years, thinking, okay, my dog has a good imagination. Wrong. One night, I woke up, due, not to my dog growling, but barking, for all she was worth. 
and not at the door, she was barking straight at me. I opened my eyes pretty much immediately. And there was a blare of light leaning over me very close, certainly less than six inches from my face. It was not distinguishable as a person. It more resembled a person's size version of a colourful nebula, like what you might see of a picture in a science magazine. Three dimensionals and all. I immediately got the distinct impression that this thing had been watching me sleep for God knows how long and how many times before. For all the clarity of that distinct feeling, I had no sense of what it wanted. Whether it was malevolent or curious, I flipped right the fuck out, jumped backwards to the other side of the room, too terrified to even scream. And that blare of light reduced and disappeared over the course of about three seconds. My dog was going absolutely apeshit. So shortly thereafter, I asked the building manager if anyone had ever died. She investigated that and came back to me in a couple of weeks later and said, yes, a woman had died of a drug overdose in that apartment in 1995, <clears throat> shortly after having her child removed from her custody for addiction problems. Mm. My dog did still growl at the hallway from time to time, but I never saw it again. I moved out about a year later. I had other encounters, but this thing was literally inches from my face, watching me sleep, getting shivers now, just writing about it. Mm. Well, that's a terrifying tale. Okay, so that's it for today's show. Thank you very much for listening. Keep your reviews coming. I know I've had uh, quite a few reviews this week, but a lot of them have been uh, just stars. Um, Well, they're coming up at my end as just stars. I don't know if anybody's written a review. Again, if you've written a review anywhere in the world, just let us know either on Facebook or email, you know, uh, supernaturalpod at gmail.com. The links to our Facebook uh, um, that are in the show description, so it's easy enough. Just go there, click, and it sends you to the, the page. So... Just let us know if you have, or share it into the group, you know, if you've, if you've left a review, take a screenshot, put it in there, and then, then obviously we know. These ones that we've had this week have, as far as I know, just been stars. Fantastic, but obviously a written one is, uh, is more uh, valuable to the iTunes algorithm bullshit. So, bear that in mind. Thank you very much, though, for your reviews. Uh, obviously, going forward, we are sticking more and more things on Patreon. So, if you can, and if you're willing, and if you're able, please join our Patreon. Um, I'll have to include the uh, links that are in the show description. I don't normally, but I, I will start doing that. So, if there's anybody out there um, who wants to do that, we'll be very, very grateful. Obviously, going forward, we're going to add more stuff to the show and that. So, it just freezes up to do a bit more stuff. Um, 
Right. We've had plenty of entries for the uh, t-shirt competition, so what we're going to do, we're going to uh, randomly pick, uh, put everyone, you know, give everyone a number and randomly pick that on probably the next episode. And then obviously whoever wins will we'll get in touch with them and uh, send the t-shirt out to them. Or if they've already got a t-shirt, something different. So, um, yeah, thank you very much for everybody that's entered that. I think the... Well, I'll shut that uh, competition down on, let's say, Wednesday. Yeah, so you've got a few few more days to enter it if you haven't already. Again, you can enter that by email or on the Facebook. There's a there's a post up there and you know, people put the favourite episode in there. Everybody that's in, everybody that's made, posted on there basically will get into the entered into the hat, as it were. So thank you very much again for everybody that's entered that. Thank you very much for everybody that's listened, and um, thank you very much for everybody that's shared the show somewhere with friends, family, etc. Because you know we see our numbers creeping up, uh, and that is a lot of that is is word of mouth. So thank you very much for that. Uh, until next week, have a great week. And uh, we will see you on the other side. Well, they've gone. No, just for now. It wasn't the right time for us to meet. But there'll be other nights, other stars for us to watch. They'll be back.